At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading His name until He returns. So there's a debate that's been going on, y'all. It's been going on, I would say decades, but it's much longer than decades. It's a pretty serious debate that I actually think really plays into the message for this morning. But the debate is cats or dogs. Like, that's really the debate right? That is a pretty serious debate. And so I actually got online and thought, I want to learn more about what is it that makes dogs special or cats special. And so you'll probably already know this. I had to look it up. But a dog has a sense of smell that's a hundred or no, not a hundred. Yeah, a hundred thousand times, a hundred, hundred thousand times more accurate than that of a human. A dog's got a good sniffer. That's what that means. They sniff real good, like a hundred thousand times more accurate than arms. And here's what's incredible is 300 hours after something, they can still pick up the scent. And I know you're probably thinking practical, like if a kid gets lost in the woods, smell the kid's blanket, and they can go find the kid. I'm thinking more like my BLT. Like if I put my sandwich down somewhere, and I don't know where I put my sandwich down, that dog can find that sandwich. Now to train the dog not to eat the sandwich, that's a whole different thing. But dogs, like their sense of smell is just incredible. Now let's look at cats. When you look at cats, their cerebral cortex, that's the brain's processor, is about twice that of a dog. In other words, cats are smart. Cats are really, really smart. Now, I have a smart dog. I've got a poodle, a man, big poodle, 70 pounds worth of poodle. But a cat is twice as smart as the smartest dog. Twice as smart. They, they're athletic. Just look at how they're built. They literally are just natural athletes. They can jump up to six times their body length. Just amazing athletes. But picture the scene. The scene is you've had a bad day. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like real bad. Like a real, real bad day. Like a rotten, no good day. You've had a horrible day. And you walk into your house and you flip on that light switch. And all you think is like, man, I just need to to cuddle my pet for a little bit because it's, it's been rough. And there the cat is. You picture in the scene? And the cat looks at you looking at the cat. And the cat knows because they're twice as smart, twice as smart as any dogs. And so that cat's going to look at you and that cat's going to go, oh, I know what's going on. You think I'm your pet? I'm, not, I'm a cat, I'll have you know. You, you don't get just to come up and pet me whenever you want. I'll tell you when I want to be pet and I'll do it. But not right now, nope. No, thank you. I'm not in the mood. And they'll turn around, flip that tail, and off they'll go. That's a cat. Now let's go with dogs. You walk in, you flip on the light, and there's the dog. And the dog is like, you're home. You're home. I'm so happy you're home. I've been waiting for you my whole life. You have come back from the wars. I knew you would. And you're victorious. You are the best. You are like my bestest of best friends ever. And they jump up, and they spin around in the air, and they run back and forth, and they look at you like, I knew it. You would come home. Right. That's it. I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. And... Um, I'll let you determine which you think is best. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. 
Mark chapter 3, we're going to be in a brand new sermon series starting today. We've been in a sermon series on Elijah. Now we're in a sermon series on Mark. Mark 3 through 5, talking about Jesus coming to this earth, about the kingdom of God as Jesus arrives to this world. Now, again, what is the response of the world? What's your response? What's my response to the arrival of the king? This is where I think I'm a little bit more like a dog than a cat. Right? I mean, you gotta, gotta decide where's your heart in the arrival of the king. How do we handle the arrival of the king? What is the impact when you look at Mark 3 through 5? What's the impact not only on the world as a whole, but on your world and my world? Mark 1 gives kind of the thesis statement of the overall goal of the book of Mark. It says this it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, everything that Mark is going to say, everything he's going to say in his entire book is about us coming to the place of hearing the gospel, of understanding that the kingdom of God has come, of repenting of our sin. That means to turn from our sin and turning and receiving the gospel of Jesus, that he is our Lord and Savior. Everything is driving to that truth. And so Jesus comes in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Mark, just to catch you up with where Mark chapter 3 is starting In Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2, Jesus comes and he speaks. And when he speaks, the demons literally flee. When he speaks, the sicknesses are healed. He approaches the religious leaders and he confronts the religious leaders. That brings us to our big idea today, that Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Let me say that again. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Because after the fall, everything was so broken still is broken in complete disarray. And yet when Jesus shows up, the demons literally flee. They run. It's in chapter 1 and 2. They recognize Jesus for who he is as the Son of God. The sicknesses are healed. He confronts those that are bringing injustices. And so as he's doing this, picture the scene. Picture the scene. People start to come from miles around. And I don't mean like one or two miles. I mean like lots of miles away, they start to come to see Jesus. So now there's this mass, there's this sea, there's this crowd of people waiting for Jesus. They want to hear what he's going to say. They want to see what he's going to do. Now, now why would they do that? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the intention of the heart of every single person in that crowd. But I think it's safe to say that some of the people, they just wanted the spectacle of it, didn't they? Sure, some, right? They just want to see what he's going to do so that they can tell their friend, man, I was there. I saw what happened with my own eyes. You'll never believe what happened. Some of them, they're there because they're like, I've heard that Jesus has cured sicknesses and I'm sick and I've tried everything else and nothing's making it better. So maybe, maybe if I can get close to Jesus, maybe he'll heal me too. Now, some of them, like, here's what Jesus can do for me. Now, some were real followers. I think the, the same is true with Woodside this morning. If you think about it, I mean, if you look around, this is our 10 o'clock service. We've got quite a few of us in here, right? And there's quite a few who are watching online. Imagine all 14 campuses, though, in one space, right? It goes beyond hundreds and hundreds of people and starts to become thousands and thousands of people. But if we're just thinking about this room and those who are watching online right now, we know that some of you are in the same spot. Some of you, you're here and you're trying to figure out what you believe about your faith. Some of you, you're here saying, I've got some hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and I'm, 
I'm just looking for an answer to what I'm feeling here. And some of you truly are followers. The thing is, Jesus isn't against the crowd. You never see him say that. He never says that the crowd is bad, that the gathering of all the people is bad. But yet what you're going to see in the text today, and it is crystal clear, is that Jesus isn't looking for spectators. He's not looking for fans, if you will. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for fully devoted followers is what he's looking for. So how do you know? Like, how do you know where you are? Right, well, let's forget about every other campus at Woodside. Let's just think about you. How do you know if you're a spectator? How do you know if you're a fan? Or how do you know if you're a disciple or a follower? How do you know? Well, first, we're going to see that you're called out from the crowd. You're called out. Look at verse 13. Chapter 3, starting in verse 13 of Mark. It says, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So in... Chapters 1 and 2, Jesus was busy with ministry. And verse 7, it said this. It said, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, but a great crowd followed him. So as Jesus has been ministering, there's this sea of people, this crowd of people, this mass of people, and they're following Jesus. But he's wanting to talk one-on-one with his disciples for a second. He's wanting to address some, some followers, and so he moves his way toward the sea. Well, as he moves his way towards the sea, it's like the crowd just went, doo, 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 doo. you know, they just follow him. And so he's standing there at the sea and they're still with him. He's like, yeah, that didn't give me the space that I really need for this conversation. So he goes up to the hillside. He goes up to this mountainside. And that's where all of a sudden there's a little bit of distance. And it says in verse 13 that Jesus called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. So he gets that distance and he says, this is a conversation that I need to have with those who are fully devoted followers. I'm going to call them out of the crowd. I'm going to call them out of what's normal, this place where they can just hide. I don't want them to hide for this conversation. I'm going to call them out of that place. Now, the best description I have for this would be like high school. Many of you, you're either in high school or you remember high school. And I've talked about my high school before. But I did this this week. I wanted to try to give you a picture of what my high school was like. So I went to the school websites and I started to Google, like, what's the enrollment of this high school and that high school? My high school was a little bit smaller than Almont, just to give you perspective, right? A little bit smaller than Almont. It's a little bitty place. And uh, most of y'all, you went to school bigger. See, in Inola, I didn't have to try to separate myself from the crowd. Like, everybody was just kind of separate from the crowd, like, because... There's only like 60 of us, 70 of us, something like that. Uh, It was a small group, right? Little bitty group. And so it was very easy to stick out. For some of you, you went to a bit, raise your hand if you went to a school bigger than that. Yup, that's what I thought. Okay, so a little bit harder to stick out, but everybody wants to like not be just the crowd. You don't just want to be everybody else. And so some of you, you were athletic, and some of you, you were musical, and some of you were smart, and some of you were witty, and some of you were quiet and shy, and so like some of you were artistic, and so you, you had all these different groups that you would gravitate toward. In fact, some of you, what you did is you watched the popular kids, you watched the outgoing kids, you're like, I don't want to do that. You know, be on stage and say stuff and do this little thing in front of a whole student body. Like, nope, no thank you. And you're like, I'm now in the quiet group. That, and so you would kind of pull over here to the quiet group. Some of you, you watch and you're like, okay, those kids are the smart kids. You know, the nerds back in the day. And that nerdy group, they sit around on their little 
Casio calculators or whatever, and they just press their calculator buttons, and you're like, mm, no thanks, I'll stick with being the funny kid, you know, and so I'll come over here, and so everyone starts to move into their different groups. We understand that, don't we? We understand what it is just to fit into the status quo and to need to separate yourself. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, I'm not just looking for fans, I'm looking for, desi- for disciples, for fully devoted Followers, I'm looking for something different. I love how it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter's talking to the church, and he says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen, he says, a special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says you're a, you're a special people. You're a distinct people. The King James says a peculiar people. That's what it means to be pulled out of the crowd. Now remember the crowd. This wasn't a crowd who was against Jesus. This was a crowd who would have said, no, we're, we're for Jesus. We want to see the good stuff he's doing. Like, I just want a front row seat to it, you know, but I'm, but I'm in. Like I'm, I'm watching. I'm observing. I'm part of it. Kind of like if I, wherever you live, like whatever area of the community you live, if I go to your local grocery store I could show up and just start chatting with people in the produce department and ask them, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And I I probably don't even live right next to you, probably. Some of you I do, but most of you I don't. So if I just went to wherever you shop and I just asked people, they'd look at me and they'd go, you're a pastor, aren't you? Like they would know. They would know pretty quick. But still, if I asked them, they're going to be honest with me. And you know what they're going to say? I got no problem with Jesus. Now, if you're cynical, I know you just thought about the one or two people in your life who are going to be like, no, I don't like Jesus. Like, no, but that's not what I'm, t- I'm not talking about the one or two people you can think of on the planet who's against Jesus. I'm talking about most people where you live, where you work, where you go to school. Most people in this area, they're not anti-Jesus. They're going to say like, no, I'm, I'm fine with Jesus. No, no problem with you. Does that mean they're a disciple? Does that mean they're a follower? Does that mean they're, they're part of the crowd? And so I guess the natural question is, what crowd did he call you out of? You see, we always go to our hurts, habits, and hangups, don't we? Or we go back to that table in high school. I sat at that table, whatever, that table, and he called me out of that. But maybe the crowd he called you out of is the religious crowd. Because maybe for a while, oh, you were, you were good at being judgy, like you were the most judgy person that ever judged. Like maybe he called you out of that group, the gossipy group. Maybe he called you out of that. Like you were real good at following the rules and and being churchy and, and, and he called you out of that into something different, something deeper. Maybe for you, it wasn't a bad thing. You're not thinking like, well, I was addicted to this or doing this or partying here. Maybe that wasn't your group. Maybe your group was, I achieved, I conquered, I won. I've got the plaques on the wall to prove it. Like, I was real good at saying I hit my benchmark. I was real good at saying I I got this award and I was the best at whatever. And he called you out of that. He called you to something. And here's what I mean. This is important. Andrew, Peter, James, John, they were all what? They were fishermen. They were all fishermen. And when they became followers of Jesus, it wasn't like they forgot how to fish, did they? In fact, that they went back down to the boats What's going to happen? Yeah, there's your nets right over there. Because you guys still know how to fish. 
but no longer was being a fisherman their identity. Their identity became in Christ. Their identity was as a follower of Jesus. That's what I'm asking you. What was it that you stepped away from to say, it's not that I don't know how to do that anymore. It's not that I don't have that skill. It's not that I don't have that expertise, but my identity is in Christ. My identity is as a follower of him. And maybe, maybe if you can't answer that question, maybe today the better question for you is, what crowd is he calling you out of today? Because he's calling you to himself. That's where it starts. What crowd is he calling you out of today so that you can follow him? Next, you're going to see that to follow is to spend time with Jesus. Look at just the first part of verse 14. It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So he calls them to the mountain. They're at the mountain, and he, he brings them close. And he says, the whole point is so that you can be with me. I want you to be with me. Now, they're called apostles. That word apostles means sent ones. So we know it's coming in the next half of the verse, right? We know they're going to be sent, but that's not where it begins. It simply begins with the disciples being with him. Now, I was listening to a young man talk just last week. And um, I got to eavesdrop just a little bit. And he was just talking about how, yeah, he's 17 years old. He's graduated from high school. And um, the question was, well, what's next? And uh, how did you do in high school? Well, I did pretty good. You know, I got a 4.0. That's as good as it gets, right? And so he's like, yeah, I, I did that. I accomplished that. So what's next? And he's like, I don't know. I don't think I want to go to college because... I'm not sure what I'd want to do. And so then you just have like a lot of debt and like, I, you know what I want to do? I think, I think I want to go into the trades. And so the question was like, you want to go into the trades? Like, what do you want to do? I think I want to be an electrician, he says. And he goes, so the job market seems pretty strong to be an electrician. Then the question was, well, what do you have to do to be an electrician? He goes, you know, there's some classes you can pick up at state. And then the whole journeyman thing, you know, the journeyman thing where you're tied to a, a master electrician. I hope you heard what he just said. He says, not just reading a book that allows you to become an electrician, there has to be a relationship. You start with the, with the relationship first. Or McRest this week, at McRest, we had a doctor come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and he brought with him a couple medical students, second year med students from Michigan State. Because to become a doctor, you can't just read a book. To become a doctor, you have to follow another doctor. There has to be relationship as well as the knowledge. Probably in whatever job you do, it's kind of the same, isn't it? There's an expectation that the person coming in is going to learn from a person, that there's going to be the relationship there and the knowledge is there. Most jobs are going to work that way. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to come in first and spend time with me. Christian, how, how are you doing with that, with spending time with Jesus. You, see, you know what I think happens? Every back to school time, we do this. Every new year, we do this. Hannah stood up here this morning as she was telling you about all the things coming up. And do you remember? She turned around, she looked at the screen, and she said, on Monday nights, we're going to have Celebrate Recovery. On Tuesday nights, we'll have men's ministry. On Wednesday nights, we'll have student ministry. Thursday mornings, Thursday nights, we're going to have women's ministry. Thursday nights, we'll have grief share. Like all these things are happening. And I think sometimes what happens as Christians 
is we start to check some boxes. Okay, I'm going to go to life group, and I'm going to give my tithes and offerings, and I'm going to volunteer, and I'm going to go to men's ministry and women's ministry and student ministry and celebrate recovery, and I'm going to check, 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 and we start checking our boxes. And I took some time off this summer because we went on vacation, but now it's back to school time, so I'm going to go back to church and check, you know, I'm checking all these boxes. I think that's what we do. We start checking all the boxes. And I, hear my heart, I hope that when you give your tithes and offerings, that it's done with joy. I do. I hope, I hope you're excited in that. I was talking to a McRest guy this week, and he said, you know, Pastor Billy, I love working. I love it because they have to, part of the requirements for the program is you leave at eight, and you're either working or you're looking for work. He's like, I love working. I, I had to pause because that's not normally the response from people. I'm like, really? He's like, no, I do. Man, I, you know, I got to ride on the bus for an hour to get to my work. But there's something about you get up, you put on your clothes, you look in the mirror, and you're like, man, I've got some dignity about myself. You know, I'm being productive. And then you go to work, and it's just honest. And at the end of the day, you go home, and you're able to say, today counted. It mattered. And he's like, so I don't even care what kind of work it is. I just love where I hope that's how you are when it comes to serving here at the church, whether it's with kids or students or next steps or making coffee, whatever way you serve, I hope you are just overflowing with joy in it, that you love doing it to the Lord, like you're just all in with it. I hope that your life group isn't a chore for you, that you look at your life group as these are people who get me and I get them. But if you're doing all these things, and you're not stopping to spend time with the Lord, you're missing the mark. Like, what, what's the point if you don't have the relationship with Jesus? So my question for you is, when's the last time you stopped and spent time with the Lord, just you and him? Because if it's more than 24 hours, friends, that's too long. That's too long. And, and I get it. I know every excuse. I've used them Every excuse. Well, I don't spend time with the Lord in the morning because I'm not a morning person. So I like to just spend time in the evenings. I mean, that's fine. I didn't say you got to spend two hours. But don't you think you can pause for 10 minutes to say, before I start my day, I'm just going to meditate on God's word. I'm going to start in God's word. And I'm going to spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to spend some time in prayer, really praying, Lord, guard my heart, guard my eyes, guard my steps today. Let me glorify you with what I say. Just pause for it. It doesn't take a long time. Just pause for a second. And then listen. Don't just speak, but listen for the Lord. Lord, I need to hear from you. I need your leading, not my own wisdom. Lord, I need you today. Start your day with it. In the afternoons, be intentional with your time with the Lord. In the evening, still spend time with the Lord. Be intentional with your time. The Lord is calling you out for what? To start with that relationship with him. And finally, he's going to give you the authority to minister. Look at the second half of verse 14 and following. It says that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, 
And James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, some of y'all, you do love being with Jesus. So that point that I just made about being with Jesus, you're all about that. You're like, man, you know what I love? I love those breaks that I have where I can just spend hours. You know, I just spend hours. I shut the door. I've got my music playing. I've got my journal out, the Bible. It's just, I can spend hours with Jesus, no problem. Hours and hours and hours with Jesus. Every day I can do it just pretty much all the time. But if you're doing that and that's all there ever is, can I tell you, you're missing the mark. You're, you're missing the whole point. Did you see the second half? Look, he appointed the 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them. The whole point was he was going to send them. What was he sending them to do? Well, it says he sent them to preach. Now, the kind of preach isn't what I'm doing now. It wasn't like they stood up here as everyone sat and listened. No, he's sending them into homes to preach. He's sending them into their areas of influence to preach. And maybe you're thinking, I mean, we meet in homes with life groups and I have my work I go to or my group that I belong to or my neighborhood or my family I belong to. And I don't know that I'd call that preaching. I mean, I might call it sharing. I might call it talking. I mean, I might call it something else. That's not what we're talking about, though. You see, this wasn't the kind of setting where he sent out the 12 and said, hey, why don't you sit around a dinner table and just say, hey, what do you think about faith? And let me tell you what I think about faith. And in the end, we go, okay. We all just shared what we thought. That was a nice philosophical talk. Have a great week. No, that's, that's not what's happening. They're going to tell the truth. They're going to speak the truth. That's what's making it preaching. They're declaring truth that the kingdom of God has come. They're not backing down from truth. They're not trying to water it down or, or just like, let's try to keep everybody happy by saying whatever you want to believe is fine. No, they're saying that Jesus has come to take away the sins of the world. This is an authoritative declaration that they're making. And then he continues on in verse 15, and he says that he gave the disciples the authority to cast out demons. Now, let me cover that for a moment. Because sometimes I think we read stuff in the Bible and... Um, for me, at least, I just wish my Bible was much, much thicker because I want more details. Like, you were casting out demons. How'd you do that? Like, what that look like? Tell me word for word what was said. Show me exactly what happened, but that's not what happens. It's almost like Mark just kind of assumes some things, doesn't he? He almost assumes that, one, we understand that people can be possessed or can be influenced by demons. And then, two, that demons can be cast out by the authority of Christ. Now, real fast, church, I just want to say I want us to avoid the extreme poles. And what I mean by that is on one side, what can happen, and you maybe have done this or maybe know people who do this, we start to think that anything bad that happens in our life is because of a demon or the devil did it, right? Anything that's bad, any kind of trial you face is the devil's fault. Can I just tell you that that's, that that's just not good theology? For instance, for instance, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, you've got some major heart issues, major heart issues. And you're going, that's the devil. And the doctor goes, maybe, maybe it's the devil. Tell me about your diet. My diet's pretty clean. I eat a pound of bacon for breakfast every morning, then some biscuits and gravies, what I follow it up with. And see, sometimes there's natural consequences in life, right? Or that dog, you know, that dog with the hurt paw, and they're holding it up, and they're eating at the food bowl, and you go to grab that paw. 
don't be dumb. Like, don't do that. You grab that dog, it might bite you. You know, or the cat, the cat's not feeling good, and you go to reach for the hand, they go, you know, they do that noise. You know the noise, and you're like, oh, come here, Fluffy, and you pick up, the, the cat might attack your face. Don't do that. Leave that cat alone. They're smart. Leave them alone. They're athletic. They're going to attack you. Don't touch the cat, right? So sometimes I think that's what we do is we take, we take the brokenness of what's around us and we want to push blame where it doesn't belong. Or we act like the unseen world doesn't exist. Also wrong. I mean, how do we say we believe that the Bible is truth? That we surrendered our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and not be aware that when you engage in prayer, you are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. When you engage in prayer, you are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. That's where you are. And so I just want us to be very aware of what is going on. Now, as Christians, we just gotta, we gotta be careful with that and then be aware that when you're praying, you're doing it not because you're smart enough, not because you've read the Bible enough, but by the authority that Jesus has given you. You have the authority, Christian, to engage in spiritual warfare. You have the authority and permission from Jesus to step into those places. Imagine this. Imagine Michigan's playing Michigan State in football. I don't know when the game is. It wasn't this weekend. And I don't know where it is. It's going to be one of the two, right? But imagine it's the second quarter, and you stomp right out onto the field. Stomp, stomp, stomp. And you reach into your pocket, and you pull out a yellow handkerchief, and you throw it high as you can in the air. And then you look at the home stands, and you, you go, pass interference on this side, first down, whichever way, right? First down. And then you stomp off the field. Stomp. And let's say you didn't get tackled and your arms were not broken and your legs were not broken. You made it all the way off the field. They're going to take you and put you in a little room, just so you know. And you're going to be questioned. And when you're questioned, they're going to say, what were you thinking? That's not your field. You're not wearing a striped shirt. You don't have on the little hat and the whistle. You, don't have, you had no authority to be there. You had no authority to do that. What were you doing? This is different for Christians. You don't need a striped shirt, a hat, or a whistle. You've been given authority. You have been given authority to press into these places, to go and to speak and to go and pray, but you do it in the name of Jesus. As a Christian, you're going in the name of Christ. This is the authority you have. Now, you know what I'm going to ask, and that is, as a Christian... Where are you currently pressing in and serving? What does that look like for you? Because it's not like ESPN where we turn on the TV and we watch the professionals just do it on TV as we spectate. As disciples, Jesus has called you out of that crowd into something more. So what does it look like for you? Sometimes maybe we read passages like this and we want to say, well, you do know, Pastor, in chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the twelve. Andrew, Peter, James, I mean, the super Christians, right? He's talking to the super Christians here. I mean, I'm just normal. Like, I'm just this normal person trying to make it. Just a man, just a woman, just a kid. Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to make it. Yeah, but when you read the Bible, isn't it true that, like I just said, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they were, they were fishermen. They were these unschooled guys. They were just these blue-collar guys. In fact, most of the disciples were, not all, like Matthew. Matthew was educated. 
right? He was a tax collector, which meant he would have been educated like an accountant, so he would have been white collar. And yet, he didn't grow up in the synagogue. He didn't have a PhD in Old Testament. He's still just a dude. Like, he was just trying his best to get through things and figure it out. So these 12 ordinary guys did the most extraordinary of things. That's true for us. Like, you may look in the mirror and you may see yourself as an ordinary person, but you are not ordinary. No, he has called you out to be peculiar, distinct, different, a royal priesthood, chosen as his follower, as a son or a daughter of the Most High. That's who you are. And so as he's called you out, what does that look like for you? Because my hope is that today, as you've heard the word that you're looking, going, this, this has challenged me in some areas of where I do need to serve, of the areas that I do need to speak into. It has challenged me in places that, yeah, I've been spending time with Jesus, but have I really been sent? Or I've been acting like I'm sent, I've been busy checking boxes, but have I spent time with Jesus? So for the Christian, my hope is that, that this does stir you, that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind this morning. But to the other group, the group that maybe, maybe you do feel like you've been in the crowd the whole time. Not because you're against Jesus. You've just been watching and waiting and trying to figure it all out. My hope is that today you step out of the crowd. Because here's the gospel. The gospel is that the Lord loves you. He does. The Lord absolutely loves you. The problem's on our end. Right? We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We, when we sin, it causes a separation between us and God. And so oftentimes when we're aware of that separation, we try to do better, don't we? I'm going to pray a little bit. I'm going to give a little money. I'm going to go to church. I'm, go, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to try not to do that thing that I don't want to do, but I keep doing it, whatever that thing is. On our own, we'll never fix it. That's why Jesus came and he lived a perfect and a sinless life and he was crucified on a cross. But I want you to know that that's not really the weight of what happened. Yes, there were nails in his hands and his feet, but it was so much more than that. It was the weight of all of your sin and the weight of all of my sin and the weight of the sin of the whole world on Jesus all in one moment, paying the price once and for all. That was the weight of the moment. And then after Jesus gave up his life, they took his body off the cross. They placed him in a tomb where he stayed for all of Friday, all of Saturday. And on the third day, he rose again. He conquered sin and death and he rose again. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're saved, that you're rescued. Maybe you've never responded to that. You've been in the crowds, you've been watching, but you've never taken that first step of faith. And for all of us, we have steps to take today. Lord, we do thank you. We praise you for the great things that you have done. So Lord, I do pray for courage for my brothers and sisters in faith that um, whether it's the time with you they need to spend or whether it's engaging in that process of going, that there's a boldness today in hearing the word and moving because of the word. And Lord, for those in this room that maybe they have never stepped out of the crowd, I, I pray that today they're bold enough to take that step of faith. 
And just between you and them, say, Jesus is Lord. Lord, we thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. We thank you that you continue to take old things and make them new again. Lord, for the transformation that continues to take place in our lives. We pray that it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.